Good morning. It's always nice to be among those who are brave enough to face death, as we are today. Mary calls it a celebration, but I know it's a celebration that the few of us, as few of us, gather to. And so today I want to spend a little time talking about why do it, why it is worth it. We make today a very special day because we want to honor people who've been important to us, people who have shaped who we are. Uh, Usually we remember people who are no longer alive, but but sometimes um, people who we just no longer know where they are, we don't see them. Um, Often grief or distance keeps us from thinking about um, important people. So today we want to look beneath whatever cloud of discomfort might be there to find some deeper spiritual purpose, if you will, for appreciating those who've been meaningful to us and looking at what role they might still play as they dwell in our psyche. I want to start with a personal example, um, not because it is special, but because I think it's it's ordinary, uh, typical. Um, my example comes from 40 years ago. Uh, a friend of mine, college roommate, whose name is Dick Kimball, um, Dick, while going to college, also had a job. Maybe that's not unusual, but his job was as an executive for a small corporation that was nearby, and that was unusual. Um, Dick seemed like, um, even though he was uh, going to school full-time, that the job was really what it was about. Um, And he had absolute faith in himself that he could function in this world. And he carried himself so, and he apparently convinced people so. He had a thorough, I-can-do-it attitude. He also had unlimited uh, ambition about his own future. And he also had a dedication to just working hard. Now, I was a working-class kid. Uh, I was the first in my family to go to college. So I had already fulfilled my vision and my ambition, and I didn't have anything else that I was looking forward to. I didn't either have an I-can-do-it mantra because um, I studied very little, I tested well, and I was given a scholarship. And that was what college was about. So I hadn't really discovered this thing called total dedication to work. So Dick represented a very, a new way of being, if you will, uh, which uh, clearly impressed me and has served me through my life uh, very well. I lost track of Dick and he of me, and I haven't seen him in about almost 40 years. And yet, I still realize he represents a dimension in me, a voice in me, which frankly I haven't thought about in decades, but you all made me stand here and talk, and so I had to think of things, and he came to mind. And as I thought about him, his importance to me just continued to grow the more I thought of him. See, Dick's ambition and dedication uh, meant that he paid insufficient time Uh, to his steady girlfriend. Um, So as his roommate, I ended up spending about as much time with her as he did. Um, And so eventually, Nancy and I were married. (laughs) Now, there was nothing improper in that, but it was sufficiently alienating (laughs) that we have lost connection both in the outer world 
but also in the inner world until this week. The effect of a person often is not appreciated by us for a long time afterward because we don't really understand the dimensions of us that are being uh, affected that otherwise might have laid fallow. Or we don't really notice at the time that they're giving us an opportunity or the new perspective that they're doing or the new example of a way of being uh, and how it will eventually greatly benefit us. But we have not uh, given them, because of that, their rightful, uh, grateful, our rightful gratitude. Um, and by not so doing, we have not fully benefited um, from the full potential of what their gift, their spirit, uh, might mean to us. Uh, I was once on a clergy panel with a wide spectrum of religious leaders, one of whom was a Native American uh, priestess. And she explained that when people died in her tradition, uh, they became a star in the night sky. And that right after the memorial, they would go out and they would figure out which star that person was, which meant that every night that person's spirit was looking down and observing them. And they could have discussion and get the kind of advice and wisdom that they were used to getting uh, from that person. To introduce Remembrance Day, I want to review why it's important, why it's worth our time and attention. Um, Felix Adler, founder of the Ethical Society, one of his books is called Essentials of Spirituality. And he starts it with, there must be hunger before there can be satisfaction. The first essential of spirituality is an awakening a sense of the absence of spirit. So Remembrance Day is our equivalent of All Souls Day, which uh, remains a, Christmas a Christian celebration, although it was originally a pre-Christian European holy day. Uh, like our Remembrance Day, All Souls Day, it's an opportunity to deepen our connection with the souls of people who dwell um, in our psyche, or did dwell in our lives. Um, while uh, only those of us with a Catholic background or our Catholics uh, are probably familiar with All Souls Day, uh, I would assume that everybody here is uh, familiar with the night before All Souls Day, which is called Holy Day Eve or Halloween. Uh, now, this is a celebration that originally started at midnight, um, and it was recognizing not all the souls were being invited back to be honored on All Souls Day. And so during the darker hours of All Souls Days, those um, that one might call demons, those uh, spirits that actually tortured our life, uh, and may still our psyche, uh, they come back. And so we build this gigantic bonfire so that the light will drive them away or fool them into the thinking that it's already dawn and it's not their time. Uh, or the more bold ones actually confront us with a trick-or-treat, and so we have to kind of appease them to keep them away. Now, many people leave a religious tradition, a theistic tradition, because they find that uh, they have become merely ritualistic or aesthetic. That is to say that they have failed to be meaningful and genuinely helpful. Well, 
In Europe right now, um, the surveys show that less than 10% of uh, people actually participate in church anymore. However, uh, there is one time uh, where church attendance is very high, and that is at the point of death. Uh, They go for memorials and for grieving. Yet, uh, grieving, uh, for most of us, uh, is rather an unpleasant um, thing, an experience that we just as soon avoid. And we forget that we grieve for that which we we yearn, the things we love the most um, is what causes us to grieve the most. But most of us uh, opt out for a kind of a secular lifestyle with with relatively little spirituality in it. Um, And so we um, deny most of our, our inner world. Uh, and if it, um, it, it tends to impose itself on us, um, we use the distractions of work or comforts or in really necessary drugs to prevent our inner world from erupting into our outer world. But if a crisis does happen, we go and seek out a psychologist so that we might learn to better manage uh, our inner environment. Now, psychology means the study of the psyche. And, of course, psyche is a Greek word for soul. So when we seek out a psychologist, we're going for a modern-day student of the soul. Now, um, religions, whether they are theistic or humanistic, um, just like psychologists, have to address the inner environment and know how to manage it. They have to have um, some way of understanding how do you maximize our animating vitality, how do we create happiness, how do we create collective well-being. Um, And that is in particular situations that cross our path, situations and relationships. How do we relate to them to make something uh, good out of them? And if we can't claim some some inner abilities to do that, we suffer the consequences. So today, I want to focus on what ethical culture uh, means by uh, soul, or what might mean by soul, and um, and to see what use we can put that concept. Funk and Wagnall's Encyclopedia, if you look up the word soul, has a striking sentence in it, and let me read it to you. Some conception corresponding to the word soul has been found in all ages and among all peoples. Now, let's recall the importance of of words. If you don't have a word for something, you certainly can't understand it. For example, um, I don't have uh, many words for um, what's underneath the hood of my car. I don't have many concepts for understanding what those words are and how they all interact. So when um, the car doesn't work, uh, I'm pretty much stuck. I've got to go find somebody who has words and concepts that understand how that all works. Well, what about our concepts about our inner environment? If we have few words and few concepts, then uh, when we get stuck, we have to go to a, a student of the soul, a psychologist, uh, because we don't have enough language there. So what is your concept of soul, is what I'm asking here. Um, and here's mine, based on an ethical culture perspective. This is, in fact, my thesis for today. That the souls of people who have influenced us dwell in our psyche, where they either empower us or disempower us. And we have the capacity to decide whether they do empower us or disempower us, if we learn how. And as human beings, we have immense capacities that can only be claimed 
if we make our own, our inner uh, pantheon of souls, so to speak, into a wise board of trustees. If our inner spirits are wise, then our life goes better. And when they're not, we cause ourselves tremendous difficulties. Now, when I say souls of people who dwell in our psyche, you can get spooky about that or not. Frankly, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, you can believe that a ghost of a person has possessed you. That's all right with me. My only question is, what's he possessing you to do? You can decide that um, uh, somewhere out in another realm, a heaven realm, spiritual realm, there is all these spirits, and that we have the ability to connect and meet with those spirits. That's all right. Or you can understand that your memory and imagination, a function of your own mind, allows you to re-experience, just like we can re-experience beauty by remembering a great sunset. And we do remember the hot stove. We don't have to touch it over and over again. So we can look at it that way. What is important and what I want to focus on is the messages that we receive. For I want to do a little bit aside for the part of you that um, uh, actually dread self-reflection um, uh, because when you do, not necessarily pleasant things or confusing things come up. So we avoid the self-reflection uh, because we don't like what, what's there or we're not sure about what to do with it. Um, I just want to remind us that, in fact, uh, most of the things we do, we do unconsciously. That our mind, however, continues to have feelings and thoughts and desires and make choices. And um, we are thereby guided by some unconscious criteria. Well, to claim your potential to be happier in life, um, there is no way around the importance of knowing thyself. A person... Um, who has um, a response to intimacy uh, to be extremely possessive, um, I will show you someone who has an inner persona who is saying, I'm going to abandon you. If you, uh, a person who is facing intimacy becomes fearful, they have a voice in them, conscious or not, that says, I'm going to hurt you the way I did before. If when you you approach intimacy, you have a tremendous desire for isolation, or when in intimacy, you would prefer to be dominant and controlling, I would say that you have inside of you a voice that says, I will abuse you again. My point is that I don't believe that we can escape these memories. We can make them conscious or unconscious. We can make them empowering or disempowering. But I do not believe that we can escape. What is your conception of soul? You know, in all ages and cultures, there has been a word for soul. Why? Why? Well, it's because I believe the phenomena, phenomenon that people notice about life, perhaps the most phenomenal phenomenon, is life. It is the existence of something that animates animates this thing as alive and this thing is not. To be not alive, soul has left or soul is missing. 
Even alive, there are gradations and qualities of soul. A person can be soulful or soulless, can be spiritual or spiritless, can have high or low vitality, can have a threatening or a loving vitality, can be constructive or destructive in their vitality. Each person's spirit manifests some different qualities of that vitality. But what's sure is the phenomena of animating vitality, soul. Sometimes the capacities of a soul or the expressions of a spirit are funny, articulate, or reasoning, or empathetic, or creative, or judicious, or musical, or self-aware, or loving, or many more. But each of these are expressions of some capacity inherent in the human nature that have somehow been cultivated by contact with something that has drawn those capacities out. And once they're drawn out, when one of us walks into a room, walks into a relationship, our spirit is bringing not only vitality, but a certain kind of vitality into that room. How the quality of spirit gets cultivated is from the influences of people that we encounter. And I believe the way that it stays alive is by our inner relationship with that person and spirit dwelling in us. Now, another ubiquitous assumption uh, about the soul among religions and cultures is from noticing the phenomena of dreams. Where do they come from? Or spontaneous feelings and impulses or creative thoughts. Aha, where did that thought come from? This noticing of the spontaneity of it has led to a belief that the soul can be separated from the body. Jains in Bicameral Mind put forward a theory that throughout human history, uh, the human brain, left and right spheres, have been learning to connect more. But the holistic side, at one point, people would gather in circles in silence and wait until a voice, until an image appeared to them, who they were sure was a revisit of an ancestor or great person. And from all of this kind of thinking, a certain understanding of that dimension has popularly emerged. One is the concept of soul, the phenomenon of animation. And often it's been believed that there exists a supreme being um, uh, from which all aliveness, all being derives. And then there's a notion of the Holy Spirit that is a notion that that, that soul, that phenomena of animation gets delivered to someone, you and I at birth, so that we are animated by a vitality, by our spirit. But a further development of that word would be psyche, soul, spirit, psyche. The psyche is our, yours and mine, unique consciousness. It's our unique consciousness of our little piece of spirit. 
All Souls Day is a time that we remember the spirits or the psyches of people who are, are no longer, but due to death or distance, but who, who have informed uh, our thoughts, have developed us in some way. Uh, let me tell you another story. Um, this is a, a, a man, uh, that Jake, who I met 20 years ago when he was in his early 20s. Um, Jake was a, was, a, I, was a party guy, and he was usually with his party, party girl. What I remember most about him, an image of a wedding at which he and his girlfriend got up on a table and danced. I found it um, extremely alive and exciting. Most of the relatives were scandalized by it. But um, they didn't seem to care, and I think that was part of the aliveness of it. Uh, Eventually, uh, she got pregnant, and during the birth, while in the hospital, he went to their apartment and took his things and left and moved back in with his former girlfriend and began hanging out in the bars with his friends, drinking buddies. Now, after about four or five days, his mother went to the bar and took him by the ear and brought him uh, to my office. Um, I asked him why, and he said, I'm scared. I'm scared about the death of my party self, because that's all I've ever known and what I've enjoyed most about being alive. But I also fear being a father. And as we talked, I discovered that his father had left when he was an infant. And part of his fear of being his father is he thought, I don't know how. I've never experienced a father. I don't know what I'm doing. So I suggested that he have a conversation with his dad. And he began by saying things to him like, Why did you leave me? You didn't even know who I am. Now I don't know how to be a dad. So I said, no, stop. I'd like you to ask your dad what you should do now. Listen to him. Don't talk to him. Listen to him. Um, He went through his disbelief. You're not really asking me to do that and all of that. And when he found that I was serious, he sat there on the couch and just waited and waited and waited. And then finally he said, go home. And he did. Now, Jake has five kids. Oldest one is in college. He's done Little League, PTA, the whole bit. Um, I asked him relatively recently, what happened to the party guy? And he says, well, we can still scandalize a wedding, but really, my dad has taken me over. I'm really living the life that he didn't live. His vision, his spirit in me, has really become who I am. And then there's this little party guy who just comes out occasionally. Ethical culture does not use the concept of um, supreme being, creator of the universe, ruler, benevolent father, to describe how the world works or where ethics come from or the source of happiness and progress. We do, however, seek a supreme way of being, like one might seek uh, ideal health. But ethical culture has an organic ideal, an organic understanding of how the world works. That is, the phenomena 
that animates life, life meaning our individual life, our organizational life, our, um, uh, the biosphere life, that, that the principles are primarily are, are organic. And that principle is essentially that we allow a sum of parts to produce a whole that is greater than those parts, that in fact is living, that is creating, it's growing. And it's that extra, that extra vitality that is aliveness, spirit. Certain conditions are necessary organically to create this. The conditions are that each element has a unique role, that each element is part of the whole, and that each element elicits qualities from all the others such that there is this aliveness. Our bodies obviously work that way. Our organs, as different as they are, all play a role and have to relate to each other such that we're here now. And our biosphere operates by this kind of principles. Each living thing, an organic part of a bigger whole, playing a role whether they know it or not. Integrating organic conditions, these three organic conditions, produces vitality. Vitality in terms of our biology, in terms of our organizations, in terms of ourselves individually and personally. So on Remembrance Day, it's a time for integrating all of the vitalities, all the souls that are within you, that have had some influence on you, it's allow them to relate in a way to create you as a greater whole. Let me tell you one more memory of mine. Um, it takes a certain amount of, um, let's call it confidence, to stand here and talk about the things that I'm talking about this morning. And in thinking about it, I think of a friend of mine from 40 years ago named Kim. Kim I knew in high school. He was Greek. He had already read the classic literature. He was familiar with philosophers such as Plato, Aristotle, Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, and Huxley. In music, his favorite was Beethoven and Wagner. He was a scholar, astounding me because of his age. He wasn't like one of the guys. While he was a scholar, I had read nothing, a little less than was required by my classes. He gave me 25 classics to read, and over three months I did. This encouraged them, so he introduced me to a circle of intellectual rich people's kids all of the parents had college educations, and they had houses that had libraries in them. After school, he brought me <clears throat> to a, del <clears throat> a deli where only adults hung out. Mostly, they were old men and a few women. I say old men, they're probably dramatically younger than I am now, but <clears throat> that's what it seemed like. Um, and um, occasionally... Mrs. Morrill, who was the honors literature creative writing teacher, would come hang out. We would drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. Made it feel very grown up. But mostly, people at tables were talking philosophy, and what they loved to do is take whoever Kim dragged along, me or one of the others, 
and ask them questions like, what's the meaning of life? And is there a common core to all humanity or is everybody totally different? The questions themselves were beyond my conception of a question. And yet, they pushed me into attempting to answer them. One day, Kim began to hit a utensil on a glass to get people's attention. I had never seen this done. This had certainly never been done by a student, by a kid, to a bunch of adults. I found it rather shocking, exciting, upsetting, mysterious. Kim, when he got attention, said, I found something that merits my reading aloud. And he began to read. And as he did, I slowly recognized that he was reading something of mine. The experience was so affirming, filled me up. I mean, beyond what I could be filled up with. I could not believe that this was happening here. I felt overflowing with generosity and confidence for at least an hour. But the memory of it stays now. And I can always go back to it when I need to be confident Nine months after this, Kim bought my, borrowed my motor scooter, and he was killed by a hit-and-run driver. Um, at the time, to deal with my guilt, I swore that I was going to live my life for both of us. And um, so I want to say to you right now, my name is Joachim Liatzos. In many ways, like Jake, I have turned out to be far more what I think mm, would have been than where I was heading. Now, when I think about that, my normal philosophy of life doesn't include ideas like that. And yet, I have to say, in honesty, that's how I've experienced it. Religions were born and bred before the time of science and reason. People understood the world by what we might not call, what we would call now hypnosis, perhaps, because there were stories. And these stories internalized characters and characteristics. And people were encouraged to trade places with their previous selves and trade up to a more noble personality. The will of Buddha, the will of Buddha is in us. And if we listen, it seeks enlightenment, dare to be enlightened. The Jesus persona. If we go to the Jesus persona, uh, we're capable of loving even our enemies. The Moses and the prophet personas thirst for justice. Prometheus takes 100% responsibility for humanity, and so can we. Mohammed, believe it or not, is the seeker after equality. That was his driving spirit, equality, ironic as it is in today's world. Our family and friends serve similarly in some shrine of our psyche if we purify and clarify that message. So today, there's going to be a time for you to tune into the wisdom that you've accumulated within you. It's going to be a time to relax, to let your gratitude be your guide, allow your intuition to bring into your mind people who've influenced you. And when you look close, you may actually see a cloud. 
Their image, their message may be shrouded by grief, neglect, anger, guilt, triviality. See through that cloud today to the message. Let go of the trivial, the irritating, the disappointments, the hurt. Look at the importance. If they did hurt you, learn from their mistakes, as Jake did, about a better path worth taking. Let that be their message. Or if you hurt them, resolve your guilt while playing bridge at age 23. My bridge partner, Gloria, died a few hours later at the hospital, but began there. And for such a long time, I thought of Gloria and was consumed by one idea. I never told her that I loved her. And one day, Gloria spoke back and said, dump the guilt. Be generous with your love now. And that's what she says to me now. Most important, notice people who elicited your best, who cultivated some quality in you, who appreciated a gift in you, who showed you some new path. Find those people. Notice what it was. So our purpose today is going to be to strengthen our experience, your experience of people who dwell already in your memory and imagination so that you can better integrate their wisdom, purify and clarify their message. Today's a day for feelings. And this room here is our sanctuary. It's the holy ground where we meet to seek the highest. So let's welcome whatever new thoughts, whatever tender feelings come to you. Let us be here, a safe circle for each other.